0: Well I want to say good morning to those who are watching us online, those who are watching by television, those who are watching at our campus over at Mill Creek, those who are here in our building here at Sugarloaf today, just curious, how many of you like, and it doesn't matter what type, how many of you like music? How many of you like music? Okay, most of you do. Just curious, country music, All right, how many of you like it but you're ashamed to admit it? Okay, <laughs> classical music, okay. Okay soft, soft rock music, okay? Hard rock music. Okay, there's a few young folks in here. Okay, great. Well, I grew up, uh, if you don't know me, I grew up, as the crow flies, about 20 miles from here. And I grew up in a quintessential deep south, small little country church. And every single Sunday, without fail, you could count on four things happening in our little country church. First of all, the choir was going to sing every Sunday. My mom sang in the choir and every Sunday the choir was going to sing. Then the preacher was going to preach. The pastor was going up and he's going to preach. Now, the third thing that was going to happen, and matter of fact, this was more certain than the choir singing or the pastor preaching. There was a man by the name of Mr. Skelton and he would immediately, like that, go to sleep the moment the pastor began to preach. You could set your watch by it. I mean, as soon as the pastor got up, you could watch him. His, his head would literally drop on his chin. His chin would drop on his chest. And he was out. I mean, he was down for the count. And, and, and you, you have to understand, and I, 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 but I, he's not even living anymore. It wasn't because he was being rude. It wasn't because he was disinterested. He had what we would call today a sleep disorder. We didn't know anything about sleep disorders back in that day. But it didn't matter where Mr. Skelton was. If Mr. Skelton sat still anywhere for just a little while, boom, he's down for the count. He is totally out. Now, my dad didn't know anything back then about sleep disorders. He didn't, he had what we now call today narcolepsy, you know, you, some of you may have heard about uh, narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is when you have a disorder where you can't help yourself, and if you get very still, you'll go to sleep just like that. Well, it always irritated my dad that Mr. Skelton would go to sleep. It just, he thought it was very disrespectful to the pastor. He didn't understand why he bothered to come to church. If he was going to go to sleep, you know, when the pastor began to preach. So I remember, I'm, this is, I'm not making this up, one Wednesday night, we used to have what we called prayer meeting. And so one Wednesday night, we went to, to prayer meeting, and my dad always had me sit with him at prayer meeting. I was probably six or seven years old at the time. And I remember I was sitting with my dad at, at prayer meeting. Well, my dad made it a point to sit right next to Mr. Skelton. I mean, I, and I thought that was kind of odd, but my dad made it a point to sit right next to Mr. Skelton. Well, true to form, you know, uh, Preacher Bennett got up to preach. And I mean, just like that, you know, Mr. Skelton, he is out. He's down for the count. He's, he's in sweet dreamland. My dad waited about 10 minutes, and my dad leaned over and punched him on the shoulder. And he said, hey, the pastor just called on you to pray. Mr. Skelton stands up just like that in the middle of the pastor's sermon and begins to pray. Well, the, the, the church just breaks out into, I mean, they're just, they're, they just break out into laughter. He got about 20 words into the prayer, and he realized everybody was laughing at him. The preachers look at him like, you know, what are you doing? face turned as red as a beat, but you know, Mr. Skelter was a nice man. He was a good sport about it. And then right on cue, he sat down and went right back to sleep as if nothing had happened. Now, that wasn't the last time he slept in church, but it was the last time he ever let my dad sit next to him in <laughs> church. Now, there was a fourth thing that was gonna happen in our church. You could, I mean, you could absolutely guarantee there was one other thing that was going to happen at the end of our service we would close that service by singing what we called the doxology. How many of you remember the doxology? Okay, some of you grew up in a traditional church. We would always sing the doxology. For those of you that that maybe haven't attended church or didn't go to church in the past, back in the day, There, there was a custom, as a matter of fact, there are still thousands of Christian congregations around the world that to this very day, they will end their service by singing what is called the doxology. Now, the doxology is simply a praise hymn to God. And, And you may, some of you may say, I've never heard it. Well, you may, let me just kind of throw up what we used to sing, you may remember these lyrics. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. How of you remember singing that, that doxology? Okay, just reading the lyrics as I was working on this sermon, it brought me back to my childhood days. And I remembered we would all stand up before the pastor would give the closing prayer and we would sing the doxology. Now that doxology was published by an English bishop by the name of Thomas Ken in 1709. And, and, and I went back and did some research and nobody actually knows how it became a custom or when it became a custom or when churches began to sing it. But again, as I've said, even to this day, there are churches that sing this doxology. Now, the logic of doing that makes sense to me. The the logic of closing a worship service by praising the God that you came to worship, that that just really makes sense to me. As a matter of fact, the largest hymn book ever written is a book we're going to look at today. It's called the Book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is unlike any other book in the Bible because every other book in the Bible is basically scripture. Psalms is not is more than just scripture, Psalms are songs. And the book of Psalms closes with this long doxology. It's, in fact, it's the longest doxology ever written. It's actually made up of six consecutive songs that go from Psalm 145 to Psalm 150. Today, we're gonna look at Psalm 147. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you wanna pull out your iPhone or your uh, iPad or whatever it is that you use, I want you to turn to Psalm 147. Not hard to find if you have a Bible that's right in the middle of your Bible, largest book in the Bible, can't find it. It's in the Old Testament. And we've been in a series that we've been calling music to my ears because that's why I ask you, I like music, you like music. Very hard to find anybody that doesn't like music. Well, God loves music. And I know that because of all the books in the Bible that he makes the largest book in the Bible, he makes a hymn book the largest book. He makes a book filled with music of the largest book in the Bible. So I know God loves music music. And the song that we're going to listen to today and study today is about one of the greatest ways we can relate to God. As a matter of fact, it actually tells us the key on how to enter the presence of God and how to know that when we are in the presence of God, we can absolutely be sure that we are in the presence of God. And that key is praise. Now, let me tell you something I learned. I didn't know this till I worked on this sermon. I didn't have a clue. You know, we all believe and would know that the Bible talks a lot about prayer, but here's what I didn't know. Did you know that the Bible talks a lot more about praise than it does about prayer? As a matter of fact, the Bible puts a lot more emphasis on praise than it does on prayer. Now, you may sit there and you may think, well, wait a minute, I mean, praise is prayer. Well, not exactly. And let me tell you why they're different. At least in our minds, let's be honest, The primary purpose of prayer is to get something from God. I promise you, 95% of the time when we pray, we're wanting something from God. We need something from God. We need God to do something in our life. So when we pray, we're trying to get something from God. The primary purpose of praise is not to get anything from God. It is to give something to God. Prayer is to get something, praise is to give something. By the way, that's why we spend a lot more time praying than we do praising, because we're a lot more interested most of the time in what we can get from God than what we give to God. See, prayer is when you shout up to God and you say, God, I want something from you, I need something from you, I need you to do something for me. That's prayer, you shout up to God praise is when you shout out to God and say, I don't want anything from you. I'm not asking anything from you. I just want to give something to you. I I just, I just want to come and give you something that if I don't give it to you, you would not have at least from me. So even in our relationship to God, there's one thing that's always true. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's true even in our relationship to God. It really is more blessed for us to give God praise than it is to speak to God in prayer. What I want to do today is I want to show you four things that this songwriter tells us that we give God every time we praise God. Now, before I get into this, let me just stop because I know what some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, wait a minute. I understand why praise is important and I want to give God praise, but I mean... I got to pay my bills, and I need healing from this disease i need, I need God to work in my marriage, and I need God to do do something in the heart of one of my kids I mean you know I, I get this thing about praise, and here's what I want you to understand this is this is real big, so don't miss this you don't have to worry about what you need from God because you will learn that when you give God the praise that he deserves. He'll give you the needs that you desire. So you don't have to worry about that. God knows what you need. You know, Jesus said this, God already knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry, well, but if I praise God, he'll forget my needs. No, he won't. But if I praise God, I won't be asking for my needs. That's okay. When you really learn to get into the flow of praising God and giving God what he deserves, you will find not only, by the way, God will give you what you need, He's already planned to give you what you need. So why is it so important that we praise God? What is the big deal? Why would God put more emphasis on praise than on prayer? Why is it more important that we shout out to God and give something to God than shout up to God and get something from God? Because you give God, you do four things when you praise God. You ready? Number one, when I praise, I give God pleasure. When I praise, I give God pleasure. Now, look at how the songwriter begins this song. He says, praise the Lord. Let's say that together. You ready? Praise the Lord. Let's say it one more time. Praise the Lord. Okay, he said, praise the Lord. Why? Now, watch what he says. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise God. Him. Now, the three words that we just repeated, praise the Lord, they're actually one word in the Hebrew language. Anybody know what that word is? Come on, you gotta know, it starts with an H. Hallelujah, all right? So every time you read those three words, praise the Lord, in the Hebrew language, you're reading that word, hallelujah, it's just one word. That word's not just an exclamation, it is a command. In other words, we're not just requested to praise God. We're not just suggested to praise God. We are commanded to praise God. And so praise is is, is more than something that we can do or something that we could do or something we should do. Praise is actually something we need to do, we must do, and we ought to do. Why? Because we're told that praise is pleasant and praise is fitting. What does it mean, praise is pleasant? Well, who are we pleasing? We're pleasing God. So number one, it's just pleasant because when we praise God, we please God. Now, let's be honest. If someone praises us, what what, you know, what do we tend to do? You know, we, we try to give it, I call it the old look down and shuffle your feet and all shucks and, you know, but let's be honest. We love it, don't we? I mean, we like it. I mean, let, let me tell you something. I would much rather you come out of a worship center and say to me, that was a great sermon that you preached today. Then come out and say what one woman said to me one time when she said, you know, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. So I, I would, you'll get that in a minute, okay? I would much rather you praise me because that's exactly what praise us. When somebody praises us, when somebody brags on us, well, it, it, we can't help it, it puts a smile on our face. It puts joy in our heart. It can make our whole day. Just one word of praise and encouragement can make our day. What do you think it does for God? It pleases God. But it's not just pleasant, the psalmist said. He said, it is fitting. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is praise fitting? What did he mean by that? Why is it fitting to praise God? This will this, be, be worth coming to church for. The reason why praise is fitting It's because every time you praise God, you ready? You put God where he belongs and you put you where you belong. When you praise God, you put God where he belongs and you put you where you belong. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you read this whole song, you'll find that the songwriter refers to God 22 times. In other words, this song is all about God. It maximizes God. It minimizes us. That's exactly what praise does. Praise puts God at the center of attention. Praise puts the spotlight on God. Praise forces us to forget about us and focus on God. And matter of fact, can I tell you just a little side benefit of of, of living in praise and learning how to stay in the flow of praising God? Praise will keep you out of a lot of trouble. It will. Praise will keep you. It will get you out of a lot of trouble. It will keep you out of a lot of trouble. But I'm going to show you how practical the Bible is. How many of you know what, now don't, don't, don't get holy on me now. How many of you either know what, or you've seen, or you have personally experienced even a little bit, you ready? Road rage. Come on now, raise your hand. Don't you look so holy and pious at me right? We, we all know what road rage is, right? You know, we, we, somebody cuts us off in traffic. We get angry. Somebody stops suddenly in front of us or they go too slow and they won't let us pass. What happens? Our blood pressure rises. We yell at them. We give them a dirty look as we go by. And you know why? You know what rage is all about at the end of the day? Rage is all about me. It's because my focus is on me. It's all about me. You invaded my space. You cut in front of me. You slowed me down. You made me slam on my brakes. Wait, I mean, let's look. We've all been there, right? We've all done that. We've all gotten angry. We've all gotten upset because our focus is on us. I'm, just, I'm not being funny when I say this, but what if the next time somebody cut us off in traffic or slammed on their brakes in front of us or caused us to have to slow down or whatever, what if, what if we just said something like, Lord, I just want to praise you. Nobody got hurt. Nobody's going to the hospital. There's been no harm. There's been no foul. You make a thing, I'm making, making fun. It really does work to your benefit. I mean, it really, but let me tell you, I learned this on a golf course. In fact, let me just tell you this. I don't have a lot of trouble with road rage. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I've gotten control of my road rage. Because today, somebody may shoot you. They may kill you. They may blow your head off. So I just kind of be real patient with people, you know. You never know what crazy people are in a car next to you. So I just kind of let it go. But I'll tell you, I have experienced golf rage. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced golf rage or not. It's worse than road rage. As a matter of fact, when I first started playing golf, Teresa was so worried because you, as those of you know me, I'm, I'm intense, I'm ADD. I mean, I'm always, you know, revved up, got a lot of energy. And Teresa was really worried that I'd be one of those people that, you know, throw my club in the lake or wrap my club around a tree or, or whatever. She was really worried that I'd be that kind of a golfer. And I remember I just started playing golf, had a few lessons, wasn't really, I'm not that great now, but I'm better than I used to be. But I really was not a very good golfer at all. And I was invited for free to go up to North Carolina and play a golf course called Pinehurst. Now, if you're a golfer, you know what Pinehurst is. Pinehurst is one of the top golf courses in America. They play the U.S. Open there quite a bit. And it is absolutely one of the toughest golf courses you will ever play in your life. The truth of the matter is, I had no business being on that golf course, none. I mean, I had no business at all, but it was free, and so I felt led to go. Now, for those of you that know golf, you know that it really is one of the finest and toughest golf courses in the world. Well, I was actually up there playing with a group of men and Bill McCartney, who used to be the head coach of Colorado, won a national championship. Coach McCartney was, was in that group of men that was, were playing. There was about 12 of us. And so I was playing in a group and I was playing right in front of, of Coach McCartney. And I wanna tell you, the course was just beating me up. I was losing balls right and left. The greens were, I mean, lightning fast. I was three and four putting. them, I and I was just, it was just terrible. And I was getting madder by the minute. Well, we had to wait for the group in front of us. And I remember Coach McCartney came up and he, he kind of looked at me. And I'd never met him before. i just met him the day before and we'd spent some time together. And so he, I never he, he came up to me and he, I guess he could tell I was kind of a little bit irritated. And, and he put his arm around me and he said, James, what are you thinking about right now? And so what I told him, I said, what are you thinking about right now? I said, Coach, I said, I have never ever said a cuss word in my life. But if you'll write one down on this scorecard, I'll sign it. And that's, I mean, I was hot. You know what Coach McCartney did? I don't forget it. He put his arm around me and he said, James, it's a beautiful day. You're healthy. You're playing one of the finest golf courses on this planet. Why don't you just praise God for being out here? Now, I'll be honest, I hate people like that. I just can't stand people like that. But you know what, you know what, you know what, Coach McCart, he really taught me a lesson that day. Praise really is a cure for many of our emotional problems. Because I want you to listen to this. You cannot praise God and complain at the same time. You cannot praise God and be bitter at the same time. You cannot praise God and stay angry at the same time. You cannot praise God and curse at the same time. Praise not only gives God pleasure, it makes you happier in the process, right? So when I praise, I give God pleasure. But then number two, when I praise, I honor God's power. When I praise, I honor God's power. Now, I'm gonna show you a verse of Scripture in just a moment. It's one of the most incredible Test, tremendous testimonies to the power of the God that we worship, you'll find anywhere in any book. I want you to, I, every time I read this verse, I go, I just, I can't, I just cannot believe this. And so, down in verse four, the psalmist says this. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls each by name. Every time I read that verse, my mind goes back about 18 years ago. I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention and I was taking trips around the world to our different, to different uh, countries where our missionaries were. And I was in the African company, uh, a country of, of Zambia. And there were some missionaries and I, and we had gone down the Zambezi River about, about two hours down the Zambezi River, way out in the African bush. And we were really, I was literally sleeping in a tent on, in, in the African bush. And I remember I woke up in the middle of the night and I got up and I started I thought I'd just walk outside the tent and I want to tell you, I stepped outside the tent, and when I looked up, it literally took my breath away. It's one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen because over there there's no pollution like we have here in Atlanta or New York City or Chicago other places like that. I mean it's just totally clear it looked like somebody had just thrown Buckets of stars up against a black canvas. I had never seen so many stars ever in my life. I did not know there were those that many stars up there. As a matter of fact, there were three guys, we were all sleeping in this big tent, and I woke him up. I woke him up, I said, You guys gotta see this. Well, I've forgotten that, that the missionary, he saw it all the time. He was laughing. So that he said, Hey, I know what you're looking at. He said, you're Looking at all those stars. I said, Man, I did not know there was that many stars in the in the whole universe. But what I didn't realize was I didn't even have an idea that I was seeing nearly what I really thought I was seeing. Let me tell you why. Without a telescope, scientists tell us without a telescope from any point on earth, even in Africa, the most stars you and I can see with the naked eye is about 3,000 stars. That's about the most stars we can see. And I believe I was seeing 3,000 stars that night, okay? Now get this. Scientists estimate that the universe contains at least 70 stars trillion stars. Now, How many is that? That is 70 million, million, million stars. All right, let me put it to you this way. That's how many stars there are right there. Okay. We're approaching the national debt right there. Okay. But here we are 70 trillion stars. There are 10 times, listen to this, There are 10 times the number of stars that there are grains of sand on planet Earth. Take all the grains of sand in the world, multiply it by 10. That's how many stars there are. And yet the psalmist says, God has numbered every one of them and has all of them named. I got four grandchildren. I can't even keep them straight. God 70 trillion stars, and they all have a different name. So no wonder the psalmist continues in verse five. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So I would just make a suggestion. Next time you get a little bit too full of yourself or the next time you think you're a pretty smart dude, just go out at night and look up. Just kind of take a look up. The next time you think you know more than God knows or maybe God could use your advice, just go outside and start looking up. Let me tell you something. Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein are Forrest Gump's compared to God. (laughs) Nobody, I mean, his understanding has no limit. That ought to put every problem we have into perspective. Think about it. His understanding has no limit. The most brilliant man in the world, take the man that has the highest IQ in the world, You say, why are you taking a man? Because I can tell you one thing no man understands, women. (laughs) My understanding is, listen, I've been married to my sweet bride for 42 years. I don't totally understand her sometimes. Our understanding has limits, but God's understanding has no limits. That means if you take all of the brilliance of all of the brilliant people who have ever lived and you put them together in one brain, that one brain would still be able to understand the simple thing like electricity because our understanding is limited by what we know. But God, is not. his understanding is not limited by what he knows. You know why? He knows what? He knows everything. So his understanding is unlimited. In other words, God has yet to meet a problem he can't solve. We've all got problems we can't solve. He's never met a problem he cannot solve. But here's the point, this is what's so beautiful. The point of God's power is not just for us to realize how great God is. The point of God's power is to realize how much God cares. Because listen to what he goes on to say in verse 6. The Lord, now this is the Lord that names all the stars and has numbered all the stars. The Lord sustains the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. Now when you think about this God who is so great, He could just speak, just speak, and a universe comes into existence. You think about a God that's so great. He's numbered 70 trillion stars and named every single star, and yet you know what the scripture says? He sustains the humble. He gives strength to the weak. He's concerned with everything that concerns us. When we stumble, he steadies us. When we fall, he lifts us. When we cry, he comforts us. This great God, this mighty God, this all-powerful God, this God that knows everything, this God that can do anything, this God sustains the humble. That in and of itself ought to just cause us to break out into praise for such a great, wonderful God. When I praise God, I give God pleasure. When I praise God, I honor God's power. When I praise God, I recognize God's provision. When I praise, I recognize God's provision. Now, the psalmist adds an element to our praise, verse seven. Sing to the Lord with, what's this, grateful praise, make music to our God on the harp. When I was reading this several weeks ago, I put a circle around those two words. I'd ne- never noticed that before. He says, sing to the Lord with, grateful praise. And and, and I thought to myself, you know, that makes sense. Because praise and thanksgiving go together. They're, They're joined at the hip. They're like love and marriage. They always go together. Thanksgiving will always lead you to praise and praise will always lead you to thanksgiving. When you praise God for who he is, you automatically want to thank God for what he's done. When you thank God for what he has done, you automatically want to praise God for who he is. You cannot praise God and be ungrateful and you cannot be grateful and not praise God. I'm going to say that again. You cannot praise God and be ungrateful and you cannot be grateful and not praise God. He said, sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Well, wait a minute. Why should we do that? We all got problems. We all got things we're dealing with. We've all got things that we need to solve. We've all got things we don't have. Why should there be grateful praise? Why, In matter of fact, why should we praise God at all? Well, keep reading. Verse eight, he covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. He makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. In other words, here's what the psalmist says. You Ready? He said, God is the God of climate control. God is the God of animal care. It is God that forms the cloud. It is God that brings the rain. It is God that grows the grass. It is God that sustains the birds. It is God that feeds the beast of the field, which by the way, if that was the only verse in the Bible, that tells me something. That's why every believer ought to be committed to creation care. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a liberal position. This is not our world. We don't own it. He owns it. He put us here to tend it. We all should be concerned about creation care. We all should be committed to treating animals well because we don't own this world. God does. And we're to take special care of the the world that God has given us. We're not just to be stewards of the money that we make. We're to be stewards of the world that we live in. But that tells me something else. All life is valuable to God. All of life. Now, let me just make something plain here. Unlike some of our left-wing liberal friends, no, God does not value all life equally. The life of an unborn baby is far more important to God than the life of a snail darter. He values all of life, but he doesn't value all of life Equally. He values all of life consistently, but not equally. No, there is no comparison between human life and animal life and plant life, but all of life is important to God because He created life. He's the one who sustains life. As a matter of fact, He sustains animal life and plant life so that ultimately human life can be sustained because we eat animals and we eat plants. And that's why we ought to praise God, not only because we live in the world. We ought to praise God because of the world that we live in. I'll tell you something, I've had to work on it. I really do. I've realized I need to thank God for rainy days. I don't like rainy days. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. You know, you've heard that song? Can I, listen, forget the Monday part. Rainy days always get me down. I don't care how much you need, I just don't like rainy days. But I really, and particularly on Friday, because that's when I play golf. If I could pass any law that right now, and I knew it would stick, it would never rain on Friday. But I don't, you know, I don't control the universe. What I've had to learn is, you know what? I need to be grateful for God for the rain because I'm reminded rain, the psalmist says, is the beginning of the food chain process that keeps all of us alive. And while I'm in the neighborhood of all people on this planet we ought to be praising God for his bountiful, generous provision for us. You know, I sometimes grumble about how much things cost in America, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by how much things cost. I never cease to be amazed. I was at the grocery store yesterday. It blows my mind how much you have to spend for a little amount of groceries. I mean, it just blows me away. I read the other day about a lady, she went to the grocery store with a shopping bag full of money and came out with a pocketbook full of groceries. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But I was in the grocery store yesterday and I bought really just a few things. Really, I, I didn't think it was that, 74 bucks. And then the thought hit me. Do you realize how many people in this world have never even been to a grocery store? Do you realize how many people in this world don't even have a grocery store to go to? Do you understand, are you ready for this? 85% of this world doesn't have enough to eat on a daily basis, 85%. 85% of this world, they don't have to worry about diets. They don't have to worry about losing weight. They're trying to worry about just staying alive and we will throw enough food away on an average day in this country to feed another nation. You know, one of the most popular diets today is, is the vegan diet. Uh, One one of my best friends has just gone on the the, the vegan diet and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, vegan diets where you don't eat any meat. Well, let me tell you something. At least here in America, you get to choose to be a vegan. There are a lot of countries in the world, that's all they can do because they don't have any meat. They don't have any access to any meat. They don't have any other choice. So we ought to praise God daily for what he provides. The psalmist says he provides for the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. And thank God he provides beef and steak for Charlie and Jake. I mean, I'm grateful for what God gives. But God provides the water that we drink and the food that we eat and the air that we breathe and the clothes that we wear. So when I praise God, when I praise God, I am recognizing God's provision. So I guarantee you didn't know, you probably didn't realize all these things that you do when you just begin to praise God. But there's one last thing a psalmist says I want you to, want you to see. He says, when I praise, I acknowledge God's protection. When I praise, I acknowledge God's protection. God doesn't just delight in the praise of his people. He delights in the people who praise him. So he goes on to say in verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. God says, you know, when, when, when you put your hope in me and you trust me and you trust me to provide for you and protect you, it, it, it brings a joy to my heart. It brings a smile to our face. And he shows us this on a daily basis by providing us with his protection that gives us peace. Now, I, I never really noticed this before. But I want you to listen to what he says in verse 13. Listen to this. He strengthens the bars of your gates. Now, I'll get to that in a moment. He blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Now, the psalmist is kind of bringing all this to a climax, and he says, listen. He says, there are four things that God does for us. He does it every day, and he does it without without us even realizing it. I want you to listen to what he says. First, he says, he strengthens the bars of our gates. Now, what are gates for? They're, they're to protect, right? They're to keep the enemy out, keep, keep the good people in, the bad people out. That's what gates are for. Well, how does he do that? He provides legislators who pass laws to protect our liberties. He provides judges to see that those liberties are enforced. So he strengthens the bars of our gates. Second, he blesses the people within that city. And the word there for people literally means children. He blesses the children within that city. How does God bless our children? Well, through the unselfish work of teachers who educate them, and doctors who care for them, and parents who love them. He does that every day. And then third, he says, he gives peace to our borders. How does he do that? He provides us with policemen who guard our communities, and soldiers who guard our nation, and laws that bring the guilty to justice. And finally, he says, he satisfies us with the finest of wheat. How does he do that? He does it with farmers and factory workers and agriculture and grocery stores and restaurants. And all of these things the psalmist says says, comes from the hand of God that we should give a shout out to every day in every way. I'm gonna tell you something. When I I went over this message again this morning, I I got ashamed of myself in how little time I spend praising God. What a mighty God we have. What a loving God we have. What a caring God that we have. Now, I want to kind of bring this home to where we live right here in the United States. Thomas Jefferson once wrote these words. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God? Of God. I think Thomas Jefferson was right. I think, even though I realize that it doesn't mean a lot these days, I think one of the best things this nation ever did was decades ago when we put on our currency in God we trust. Because if there's anything that makes America good, it's not America in herself, it is the God that we trust in that makes us good. That's the only source of good that that, that there is. And Jefferson was right. He said, you won't have liberty very long until you realize your liberty is a gift of God. And that's what praise does. It always reminds us that everything and everyone really begins and ends with the God who did it all, with the God who does it all, and with the God who will do it all. And it is this God who, by the way, if he had not done anything else, It is this God that deserves our everlasting praise for sending his everlasting son to die on a cross and come back from the dead that we might have everlasting life. How can those of us who've experienced God's grace, how can those of us who have received the forgiveness of our sins, how can those of us who now know we have an an inheritance of everything that God has ever made, how can those of us who have experienced the love of God which surpasses knowledge. How can we not on a daily, consistent, constant basis absolutely bathe God with praise that he deserves and he desires and he demands because everything we have, including our very existence, is by the grace of God. Everything we do is enabled by the greatness of God. Every breath we take, every freedom we enjoy comes from the goodness of God. And that's why. We ought to begin every day. We ought to end every day. We ought to spend every day shouting out praise to God from whom all blessings flow. I don't know how your house is built. The way way that my house is built, my back deck, faces due east so I see the sun come up over the woods in my backyard and the sun then it goes over my house and then on my front porch the sun shines down and I get up very I'm an early riser get up very early and I'm usually up before sun up but most of the time at least if not before by sun up and every day I look out my back window and I think about what the psalmist said from the rising of the sun To the place where it sits, your name is to be praised. And when we think about who this God is, when we think about what this God has done, and we think about what this God has prepared for those of us who love him, how can we not live in a shout-out mode praising the great God that we know? Let's pray together.